0: We're excited to tell you about Pine Tree Garden Seeds, a women-run, family-owned and operated business since 1979, founded with the simple mission of offering low prices on quality seeds to the home gardener. Over the years, offerings have expanded to include over 1,300 varieties of seeds, including many heirlooms and organics, a huge assortment of tools and gardening gear, and lots of new gardening books. They also offer roots, plant starts, and tubers,
1: berry bushes, asparagus roots, onion sets, hops, fig trees, sweet potatoes, dahlias, peonies, lilies, and a whole new selection of fall flower bulbs. Located in Maine, they operate out of a 300-year-old farmhouse and strive to offer the best service and products with a personal touch. They continue to hand-pack more than half of their seeds and rely on their Ballard machine from the
0: 1890s to do the rest. So order your seeds today from superseeds.com and use the promo code gooddirt2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's super superseeds s u p e r s e e d s.com with our code gooddirt2024.
1: Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking.
0: But then when I
2: found out with children, like it kind of flipped around because people are like, okay, they have to like grow up fighting for climate change. And they can't do that either because they don't love it because they don't know it. So that's exactly what Earth Friends is. I'm holding space for them to learn about their environment, meaning everything, the physical, the natural, the material, the human made, the Earth made, so they can figure out what they love about it.
0: We want to put the microphone in front of the voices that need to
1: be heard the most right now. The farmers, the dreamers, the designers, and the doers. So
0: come cultivate a better world with us. We're so glad you're here. Now let's dig in. Good morning, mom. Hi. We're now towards the end of January. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, when we kicked off this year, this is four years of the Good Dirt podcast, right? And the very first episode was something like January 30 or January, you know, it was right the end of January in 2020. So pre everything, basically, right? Am I right? But this particular interview is really exciting for us in particular because this person that we're interviewing reached out to us and said, "I'm a longtime listener of your podcast, and I've learned so much, and it has even inspired this project that I'm working on that I'd love to talk to you about." And there's just nothing better, no better validation that all of this all of this work has been for for good. So that is what this interview is. this amazing person who I'm so excited to introduce and her incredible project that this podcast played any type of role in that is just amazing. And what a full circle moment for us. And I'm sure for her as well. But for us that we get to have her on, hopefully the first of what is many times, to talk about what she's working. on.
1: Yes. So excited today to be talking to Jana Hawkingjoss. And it was really special for us because it took me back to my work when you were in elementary school, Emma. I was head of the green school or the environmental education at the school in the 90s. And you took part in that. And we both have some fun memories from that, which we share in this interview. And so we're going to tell you all about Jana's project. But to introduce her now, Jana is a person that's been passionate about the
0: environment since she was a child. And like many creative people and probably many people who listen to this podcast. She has had a winding career path of a yoga teacher and writing, and she has a master in journalism from NYU, and she's a freelance book editor. And she's now found herself creating Earth Friends, which is an early education curriculum that offers a new approach, a new and different approach that doesn't exist yet. That's why she made it to environmental education for young minds. Janice says,
1: I believe our children have the chance to live in harmony with each other and all living things. And I believe they will be the innovators and problem solvers that we haven't met yet. We
0: could not agree more. We're so excited to share this conversation with you, and most importantly, this amazing curriculum that she's bringing to the world. Earth Friends Educator Trainings will become available this year to schools and communities everywhere, complete with a curriculum and lesson materials, community support resources, and you can learn all about it. In this interview, as well as at Jana's website. We
1: were so delighted to get to know Jana in this lively and fun conversation. She's got us all excited about this project, and you will be too. So listen up. Here's Jana Hockenjoss, founder and CEO of Earth Friends.
2: I'm Jana Hawkenjoss. I'm so excited to be here. What do I do? This is an interesting question for me to answer lately because it's changed drastically in like a year and a half. But what I still do, I'll start with that, is I'm a freelance book editor. So that's my job. But what is also becoming my job is I am the founder and CEO of a nonprofit called Earth Friends. And that is a nonprofit that works to bring environmental education to early childhood education. And I've written and developed a curriculum that is specifically for three to six-year-olds. So we're talking like preschool and pre-K before you get to kindergarten or in kindergarten, because I find that it's extremely important to set that foundation of environmental education when children are that young, just as you set a foundation of literacy with ABCs and math with numbers. Like they might not know what the heck you're talking about yet. And they might get the answers wrong all the time. But the truth is, giving them a familiarity with just the concepts of where we live and how we live as human beings on this planet is just as important as knowing like letters exist because one day you're going to be making words out of those letters you're going to be spelling you're going to be reading your letters in certain sequences and patterns in a book and imagine if you got to that place in your life or that grade level we'll say like first grade and you just didn't even know what letters were Mm -hmm. it would be like, okay, I'm not into this, or I'm very overwhelmed, or all these things. And what I see happening, especially in my home state of New Jersey, is that environmental education and climate education are going to be part of the standards of education. So regardless, these children are going to be having this be a part of their education. So in a way, this Earth Friends program and our approach is almost like an educational infrastructure for environmental education, which we're finding the more that some of the members of my board and the director of the preschool I'm piloting the program at, the more we do, the more we get this out there, the more we talk to people how important that is. So I guess I talked about that a lot because that is what I am doing these days. Also a mom of two children, a four-year-old and a one-year-old. The four-year-old is in the pre-K at the childhood center that I'm doing the pilot at. I mean, that's where this all started, so I can get into more of that later. But yeah, that's that's what I do. I also used to be a yoga teacher, which I add that in because I think that my work, owning yoga studios, retreats, trainings, all of that, has just really flowed into this Earth Friends company or organization in a way that I didn't understand when I was quitting yoga. Cause I felt like when I quit yoga two years ago, I was like, oh my God, this is my life's work. I've been doing this since I left magazines in New York City, which is like another lifetime ago. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna do this till like the day I die. And one day I woke up, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. And I didn't know why yet. And now I really know why.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And didn't you publish a book about yoga too? I did. I published, so I have too many (laughs) hats. No,
2: you don't know. We love that. I'm the (laughs) hero of all trades. That's why I also love listening to The Good Dirt because I find there's people like me that I'm like not crazy. Everyone <laughs> including us want to live in a different place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, but it it's exciting to know that it isn't always this career silo that we have to live in. Yet, just because you're not in a silo doesn't mean you're like extremely indecisive, which I can't be, but I've kind of grown out of that, I think. When I started this, I was very certain like this is going to be a thing. But yes, I wrote a book when I was 14, my dad was in a car accident that resulted in a traumatic brain injury it turned my life upside down completely. And that's the very short story. The long story is the book called He Never Liked Cake. And so that's a memoir. And then I started to teach him yoga, which I found some improvements with his brain body functioning connection, which is what he really needed and was lacking from a lot of the things that he was doing in rehab. And the injury happened in the 90s. This was happening in the early 2000s. And that's when I started working as a yoga teacher and also yoga for people with brain injury and PTSD and forms of trauma. So that book was called Move, Feel, Think. And that was my second book. And it's a beautifully illustrated, love my illustrator, childhood friend book of 20 yoga postures that are designed for brain injury, people with PTSD and other forms of trauma so that they can just bring that into their life in a rather unintimidating relative way. So That's my book stuff. Now I edit other people's books. Maybe one day I'll write another book, but I decided instead I would write a preschool curriculum.
0: (laughs) That makes so much sense. You know, I don't know if I've said this too much on the podcast, and if I have, then those episodes probably wouldn't be out yet, but I am currently part-time teaching at a preschool also it's a very cool school. They're very, it's progressive ed and every classroom opens to the outside. It's like here, it's in Alexandria near Washington. Somehow they have like 30 acres just outside the Beltway and there's forest and there's a farm and it's really amazing. But, you know, being in the school, I am i am noticing like, I mean, it's so much better. I can't even imagine like being in a school that's not like that. But thinking about like how we're introducing them to ideas and things and the way that I, I'm teaching them french so that's a whole thing but my main takeaway is like if we can just have them be outside and like we can learn a french word for like spider and then we go look for spider webs that that is like some of the best education to get them to care about it but that's about as far as I am I'm very like let's just experience it and I think having ever since you reached out to us then being in that environment I've had the thought like that'd be really cool if I had something specific to sort of follow to help me guide them and then just do it in French I don't know that's amazing we were just in Costa Rica my
2: husband and my two kids so it was our first like legit family trip like no help so it was an adventure every single day, every single hour, but it was totally worth it. And way back when in college, my major was Spanish, international business. Did lots with that. It probably got me the courage to get to New York City because I ended up studying abroad. That was my way of getting out of the math and management classes in English and liberal arts school that I knew were hard. But if I could convince people to let me study the European Union and Spanish. We call that great. (laughs) Resourceful. So I live in Spain for eight months. It was great. But when we were in Costa Rica, it had been a while since I'd really spoken Spanish. And it was such a wake-up call because I was like, I want my kids to have a second language. Like, I didn't get this until I took it upon myself in high school to, like, actually care when other people were just, you know, trying to pass Spanish. And I was in Western Pennsylvania, so nobody spoke anything but English. And so I think that's cool that you're there to help them Learn a different language, but also like apply that different language because the application of language is everything. You can sit there with books in front of you and flashcards, and it's not the same until you like marry it to things in the real world, other people, conversations, objects. Speaking of language, I I got so excited when you were
1: talking earlier about what you were doing with this curriculum for preschoolers. You're taking me back so 25 years, I'm telling you, because I was a yoga teacher. I taught. I had this little yoga set up in my home, and I had classes in my home, and I was doing all this stuff. And I was also green school mom at the elementary school. I was head of it, and it was my job to kind of make it up. Like, here's what we're going to do. And back in the '90s, there was some openness to it. It was a tiny opening. Some teachers were more enthusiastic than others, and the administration was less than enthusiastic because it seemed like just something else to glom onto the teachers, you know, something else they had to do. And so anyway, we were dealing with a lot of things, but we did a lot. It was a lot of fun, and I think we accomplished some things in terms of opening some eyes. But one of the things that occurred to me during that time, and you, you just so affirmed it by what you said a, a minute ago, was creating a language for this type of consciousness. And that's when it begins in the early years. And what do I mean by creating a language for I don't even have a name for it? Would it be eco-sensitive? Would it be climate sensitive? Would it be earth sensitive or
2: you know, things like earth friendly and eco-friendly and stuff like that sound like marketing. That's what's hard. I'm always like, what do I call this? It's it's a climate education. Yes and no. Is it nature? Yes and no. And what I've found working with both early education and environmental education. They both have very different messaging in terms of yes, what yes. children need. And I'm in this funky space of what do I call it as to encapsulate all that Earth Friends is, but also not offend someone because they think it's something that it's not. So that's just like a very interesting place to navigate. And I'm going to this national conference next week with Valerie who's the director of the school that I'm piloting at my son's school she's been like instrumental like really a great partner in all of this and so amazingly open-minded to just <laughs> from where we started this to like where it is now it's like it blows my mind all the time but there's times when she's like okay it's it's our earth science program and I'm like is it but it should be in some places and then in, in my place I'm like this is the climate education program where it's like oh, wait. I'm like, no, no. When you're talking to these people, it's climate ed. When you're talking to these people, it's how we live and where we live. And that seems to be like the happy place because you're not necessarily, that's what it is, right? We're living on this planet and we all, I think, can benefit from learning about where we live. We live on earth. We live on land. We live by water. We live with animals, like all these where, where do we live? And then also, how do we live? Where are interactions with life? On this planet, which can seem so basic, but that's what these children need. They need the basics. And I'm also finding out a lot of adults could handle the basics too, like because we end up jumping. We like, and I think you talk about this a lot in the podcast too of like, whether it's acquiring information or acquiring new sustainable habits at home, it never really helps to just dive in and try to capture all of it because then it becomes very intimidating and overwhelming. And then you get in this place of like, What? I can't do this all. I can't change this. I can't shift this paradigm. What am I doing? I give up. I'm done because it's just too much. You know, I'm a poor example of doing something gradually. My husband and I are like, oh, well, we're doing this now. That's just, but that, but to look at like people who are fitting this into a lifestyle that isn't here yet or fitting this into an educational system that doesn't really have space for it yet, you have to do it at the very basic level. And that's the place you can grow from. Like anything, a seed, an idea, a meme and culture, it all starts from something really small and that's where it grows from.
1: When you say start, you know, you're saying start small, you're starting with the fundamentals and I I just keep hearing language, you know, I'm building the language around this for kids to grow up with. And I have a, a really good example And I tried this in the 90s. It didn't stick then, but maybe it's time has come. In the school, you know, the kids, you know, it comes time for them to dispose of something, a piece of paper or something from their lunch, some trash from their lunch or something. And the language that we use as a culture is we're going to throw it away. Or there might be a recycling bin there for paper or whatever. But throw it away is the thing. And I remember talking about this with a group of parents. When you say throw something away, that means that it's out of your hands and it's away. And we don't have to worry about it anymore. That is the solution to this problem I have holding this thing that I don't know what to do with next. You throw it away. That language right there is a huge problem. And what if we shifted that in the classrooms and we start telling little kids, okay, I'm finished with this now. What should I do with it? We can recycle it. Or we might have to put it in the landfill because there's really nowhere else for it to go. So if we're going to put it in the landfill, of course, you wouldn't say all this, but this is the teaching behind it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If we're going to put it in the landfill, we need to think about what that means and sort of teach what that means so that it instills in a person as they're growing up what they're doing every time they toss
2: something in the trash. Do you see what I'm saying? Just I do, and I. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about part of module three. Yay, of go. go for it! <laughs> but what I want to say first, because I haven't thought of it this way, which even surprises me, the language of it. Because I'm such a language person. I studied language. I studied journalism. I'm a writer. I love language. I love words. I love the communication. All of that of language. I remember way before I was a parent. But having friends who were my age, but ha- were parents earlier than I was, I'm, a, I'm like an old parent, they would say things like, oh, yeah, now we have to worry about like math, literacy and blah." And I'm like, math, what, lit- isn't literacy for words? Like, aren't we doing like literacy? And that means words. But the truth is, literacy is now language. It's almost synonymous. So we have this language for our words. And now we're going to have this language for our numbers, which is math literacy. And I was doing deep late night dives into as many studies and abstracts and current curricula and programs that were out there, whether it was early education or environmental education. And what I was finding, a term used a lot, environmental education, is environmental literacy. And Mary, you've just put that together for me. This is the language we need to teach these children. These are the building blocks of language. Because if we don't have conversations about it, and that's where everything starts a kid. You're talking about it. You're figuring it out. It could be right. It could be wrong. That's kind of how language begins anyway, is this kind of great discovery. And so, yeah, it is its own language for these children so that when they put it, they apply it and when they use it and when they share it with one another in a couple years, it won't be so foreign. It will not be a foreign language to people. So thank you for language. Also, if you would like to come to module three with us, we're in module two right now because this is the second pilot, but it's it's coming up after the holidays. We play, and I might get this wrong, but it's, what is it? Compost, recycling, landfill reuse. I'm like, I think that's the order of it. But that's what they do after their lunch. And so it's sorting. So this is what I worked really hard with this program to do is to include what is the developmentally appropriate education and activities for children this age and also meet the needs of math, of literacy, <laughs> of language, right, of reading and writing, of colors. Of And so one of the big things is sorting, understanding that things are different, understanding that this pile has more, this pile has less. So sorting comes into play when we talk about this goes to the recycling, this goes to the landfill, this is something that we can reuse, this is something that we can compost. Because in the school that I'm piloting this program at now, we have compost. So that's exciting. So we know that this is what the worms can eat. This is what will help the garden. This is what will make the good dirt. So they know these things go to compost. Landfill, we know if it goes to a landfill, it doesn't go away. It goes on a big mountain of things that nobody uses anymore. So that is part of the language that we use with them so that they understand that it isn't this concept, which I think adults, even speaking with adults, I'm like, no, banana peel does not compost on the landfill. Neither do the compostable bags that you put your trash in to go to the landfill. Like I'm not trying to like break hearts here, but Truth is necessary if we're going to live in a different way. And it's not to offend you. It's to inform you. I didn't know it at a point either.
0: And if we're telling kids, like, even if the early childhood kids don't completely understand it then, you say, like, this goes to compost because if it goes to landfill, then it, like, emits methane gas. And it contributes to global warming. Like, even just saying those words, like, I didn't learn that until I was, like, 25. (laughs) Right. And so instead of
2: talking, we'll say the current crisis subjects biodiversity loss, climate change, food scarcity, those things. When we touch upon them, I use language, and in Earth Friends, we use language that is more like, and this is something they learn in module one. The planetary systems, in a sense, is what they learn in module one. We have an atmosphere, but the atmosphere to them is a blanket. It is a blanket, essentially. A blanket of gases, but they just know it's a blanket, and you don't want your blanket to get too hot. because That's what will happen. Ice caps will melt. Your home will flood. We have an experiment that shows this is Mr. John and this is the polar bear. And when the ice melts, Mr. John has to worry about the water coming up to his home. And the polar bear worries about like, okay, they're not going to have a home. So they get that. They start to build this relationship of things very far apart on the planet are very close together in a way when you think of how all of life is on earth. So things like that, but also that's what happens when the blanket gets too hot. And when the blanket gets too cold, we talk about that too. You know, the rainforests, you know, it's too cold. It, the tropics aren't tropical anymore. And so that's the thing. We're not doing something so it's only in the direction of negative. It's in the direction of all the way things go. Whereas adults hyper-focused on, oh my God, it's getting too cold or it's getting too hot, global warming, blah, 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 blah. But like if you teach them one trajectory, that's all they see. You have to see like the oscillation of the way this is meant to function versus how it is functioning. So then as we go through different modules and we look at human impact without saying things like human impact, we say, okay, so when you send too many things to the landfill, it makes the blanket thicker. And when the blanket gets thick or it gets hot, so there's just this little synapse of a connection of like, maybe I don't want to send things to a landfill. Or maybe at least I know what happens if I send something to a landfill. And when we play the sorting thing, we don't really care if they put the banana in the recycling. It's just to know that these different options for throwing away exist and that we're never actually throwing it away. We're just putting it someplace else, which is why I have a four-year-old like a grimy chip bag and says, mom, I'm going to reuse this for my beep beeps. Yes. Meaning cars. And I'm like, okay. Oh my God. (laughs) You're like, yeah. I'm not going to put it in. I don't want it to go to a landfill. I'm like, China, oh, that's yes. this, so funny.
1: This, I'm gonna applause. I'm gonna applause. This is like <laughs> I you know, this is what I envisioned, you know, twenty-five years ago happening with people that are now in their thirties, like my daughter. And
0: you know You did a good job. Here's here she I am.
1: She's she's here. But when kids are that age, they're so earnest about it, like your little four-year-old. Like his his heart is in that, that he doesn't want to put it in the landfill. And guess what? You accomplish that by just changing the words. Instead of we're going to throw this away so that it's out of our space and we don't have to worry about it anymore and some nice man comes and takes it away for us.
2: Isn't he nice? It's, whoa. Yeah, it's taking responsibility. And the, and the challenge, and it keeps it interesting too because I think it also, as an adult with Earth Friends, we're not talking negatively about anyone. So the garbage guy isn't bad and the garbage truck isn't bad. We're like, he's great. He comes and helps us with it. We can't figure out what to do with. And that's great. And he has a great job, blah, 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 because that's sort of the danger. And I think also some of the reasons that I find two things happen when you're like, wait, for kids this young, A, you know, don't place the burden on them. It's not their fault. But to that, I say, you know how much bigger that burden's going to be when they're in third grade figuring this out by illuminating our situation to them. In a developmentally appropriate way, which is really just here's how the world works for worse or for good. They have self agency. They are allowed to decide as they get older what matters. But if they're deciding with no information, then it's like like you were you were saying Emma, like what you didn't figure that out until you were how old? Well, same with you for some things. And we're in a different world now. Like maybe we weren't supposed to be doing. That. I mean, maybe we are. But this is their life, and we can't compare the way they're receiving the contents of their education in the way that I did or the way that Emma did or the way that Mary did because different things
0: mattered. This is something that's very much going to matter to these children and in their lives. I love it so much. I'm excited to like, whenever it's ready, I know it's piloting, but I want to like give it to the, Oh no, it's, it's ready as of next yes, year. Yes, I want to give it to the school. You got it for your school, at. you can sign up for the, we can talk so about it. So cool. Later. <laughs> There's so much more here to talk about, but I also, before we get too far into it, I want to kind of go back in, because you gave a wonderful introduction of, you know, all the sort of things you've done and then sort of skipped ahead to now you're doing this. So, but I want to hear a little bit more the origin of Earth Friends and how it started and how you, what it's been like to sort of get it off the ground, because I think Especially a lot of listeners of this podcast probably have really cool ideas about things that they want to do. And it's just always inspiring to hear how people go about doing it, especially something like this sounds like overwhelming.
1: Also have preschoolers that, you know, some of these ideas they can utilize in the home. So anyway,
2: well... Yeah, because if anyone would have said, this is what you're going to be doing. Other things in my life, you'll be a teacher. You'll Mm -hmm. write a book. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You'll be doing – you'll be at a preschool, like, giant conference presenting. I'd be like, no. So cool. I I don't know how to get (laughs) there from here. So I guess the origin story goes back to the holidays of 2020. And I was in my – I remember I was in my parents' kitchen – with their old school, what is it even called? Like the Resner heater stove thing. I don't know. Like every everything is like very old in my parents' old house, which is now not our house anymore. And I was reading. It was like a perfectly cozy couple days before Christmas, and I was reading All We Can Save, which is that anthology of women sharing stories of nature, climate, environmental everything. I have no doubt you've both heard of it. Yeah,
0: we. it was one of our book club books. And I've actually thought of it several times since you've been talking because all of it talks about the the climate anxiety. And there's a few essays that are like really hard. And I was just thinking about that in relation to teaching the kids this young and just like general anxiety and mental health and all of that and how it ties in. When they're
2: this young, they are curious. Their minds are open. Their hearts are Okay. Yeah, and how,
0: like, teaching this to them can actually, like, help prevent that anxiety. Because, you know what, you don't have anxiety about things that you, like, understand well. And so, okay, sidebar. So you're reading All We Can Save. We love it. Yes. I was reading All We Can Save, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I've cared about this since the Axon Valdez
2: spilled a bunch of oil into the Prince William sound. I was seven. I was, like, obsessed with it. What about the animals? What happened? Like, my poor parents just over and over. Like, who's saving them? What's happening? Why is there this oil? Who's cleaning it up? Like, and that was the beginning. Of, I would say my love for the environment and my concern of how humans interact mm-hmm. with it. Big words for a little kid, not the words I used then, but the way I would describe it. And that has always been sort of my through line. And some years it's been quieter than others. But if you know me, I'm harping to you about like you know whatever decade we were in like stop using plastic bottles okay you know like maybe start recycling this all feels so out of date right now but this is what my friends and family had been listening to for years and i was reading all we can save and i was like i just i miss this i care about this i want to do something about this again i have no idea what i could do but i had become sort of the person that people would say oh i want to do this help me figure out how or what can we do for cloth diapering like that was like a no-brainer to my husband and I. We're like, yeah, we're gonna cloth diapers. Diapering isn't fun anyway, so what? Like, who cares? Like, just do it this way instead of that way. It was not drama. So I thought, okay, how can I help people see that this is possible? And then it can be like small steps to like live sustainably, live regeneratively, live eco-friendly. All the words. And so I decided that I would take 2021. And on Instagram, I would share one thing that someone could do imperfectly green every single day. And I was really reaching out to adults and moms and families. And I called it the imperfect green guide. I just wanted people to have a chance to just to know the smallest thing they're doing counts and the biggest thing they're doing. So I don't care if you're putting solar panels on your house, or if you're deciding, you know, I'm gonna switch my laundry detergent, whatever, just do something, see what doing something feels like and see how that builds. I was great. And it was so hard. And it was a really hard year that I didn't know it's coming to do that, but I stuck with it. I posted every day. I wrote, I took a picture. I, I was like living it. But then I was frustrated because adults just didn't really care that much. Not that they didn't care, but they cared about other things and this never really took priority. And I was pregnant with my daughter. I had my son and we really care about their future as parents. So that like amplified how I was seeing this need for humans to be a little bit more harmonious with our surroundings and each other. So my husband and I started to talk about like what it was like when Cameron, which is my now four-year-old son, yeah, he was going out the door into this world where composting and paying attention to what you throw away and what things are made of and buying something secondhand and not having all the toys like we're like does any of it matter anybody else talk like we do or is he just a total weirdo like is he just like the crunchy little doesn't get enough birthday presents for his birthday eats out of stainless steel lunchbox weirdo mainly because one day he came home from school he didn't talk for a while so anytime he would talk and say something we're like wow but now he talks totally Great. But one of the things he said about school is like, my lunchbox is different than everyone's. And I was like, oh, what the, what's that lunchbox? Like, oh, you know, Spider-Man and Frozen. And like, mine is just silver. And and I'm like, oh, because I sent you to school with a bento box and stash your back. Now yeah, you do look yeah. different. Kid. So this became this thing of like, oh my gosh, she's going to be the only kid like this in the world. Yes, we know there are other children. I listen to your podcast and I know that like, Parents that come onto your podcast have children who are living like my kid at home, but that's at home. We want him to have interactions in the world. We want him to feel comfortable with his peers. So that turned into me going to the director of his school because she's very interested in parent involvement. You know, do parents want to do workshops for the community? Like she's really awesome about including what matters to parents. And I'd already taught like a breathwork yoga Thing. So I had already done something. We'd already given our seedlings and some seeds to their garden. So Val knew I was pretty eco-friendly and really cared about it. And she knew what Cameron's lunch looked like and what we talked about. So I just floated this idea. What if I taught some of them, what we do at home at developmentally appropriate level, like nothing scary, just like Kind of just like what our things are and where they come from, and animals and nature. And I can't even honestly remember the conversation. It happened in the parking lot, as most parent director conversations <laughs> do. And I was a little bit shocked that she was like, Yeah, just come up with some lessons. I was like, Okay, cool. And they went home and I'm like, I don't. What? I sequence yoga classes. Yeah. Like, that's what I do. And I write books. And I like this, I didn't know how to put this together. So I went online and I was like, all right, I'm going to find somebody that's doing this for preschool. There's got to be a program out there. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to support it. And there was nothing. Whoa, that's crazy. There were things for elementary school children. So I would get the program and I would look at it and I would be like, yeah, but this is not going to work for them. There were programs that were about like kind of creating characters that would like fight for the planet and fight for Earth. And I was like, that's also not what I want to teach them either. Because that gets into this burden. Like, here you are. Let me insert you in the war. Like, no, that's not what they need to do. That's our stuff. Let us do that. They just need to learn about it, like you said, Emma, so that they don't have anxiety about it or so that they feel like that they're a part of it. So I was like, all right, well, there's really nothing out there. I'll come up with something. And that's how Earth Friends started. So cool. So I had a couple of meetings with the director, and I kind of explained, there's really not a whole lot out there, but what about this? And she gave me a program. They use what's called the creative curriculum, and they had a reduce, reuse, recycle study in it. And We decided, even talking with her, this can't be a study. This has to be integrated. We got to figure out how to make this work. We have to figure out how to make this not what you were saying earlier, Mary, that was even a concern in the 90s. not something to put on top of the pile of things mm-hmm. teachers have to do. We want to put this inside the pile and it's somehow in there, growing and supporting what they already do. Like we really want to integrate these lessons into what they have to provide for children anyway, for what children are doing and connecting with, like how their school works, like all of that. We want that to be integrated because if it's not, it feels like extra. You're giving teachers more work. I don't want to give teachers more work. They have a lot of work to do. It's crazy. I see it. I teach 20 minutes Mm -hmm. a week. Like, I don't know, maybe... 30, 50, depends on the day, preschoolers in different classrooms. And I get that dose of that in 20 minutes. They do it all yeah. day long. I, I don't, I don't want to give them more work. <laughs> so I took that study home. I looked at some others and I just – I stripped it down to basics. I'm like, okay, if we're going to look at the climate, how do we look at it as – and this is my mom was so – almost to an annoying extent because her career is with children. She was the executive director yeah. Of a place called the Children's Aid Society, which was child and family services, adoptions, everything to do with children. So her two things were you have to make it make sense to children, and you have to include all the children, not just the children who are privileged in the preschools, da-da-da-da-da. So that's a way in which Earth Friends will grow in the future, is to and I'm like, Of course, mom, we're gonna get this to all the children. I just have to start somewhere. And her thing was they, you have to make it so simple for them, so simple for them. So that was always my thing. Okay climate change, take it back to like just like the bare bones of what that is. And that is we live on a planet and it's the only planet in our solar system that can support us and it's just right for life. So that's literally where Earth Friends starts is it starts with the solar system, which I would say the only place that Val and I were kind of like not differing, but to like, are you sure you want to start with planets? That's a really high concept for them. And I'm like, yeah, I really have to start with planets. They need to start with like their day, where their feet are. I'm like, I know, because what I realized, and I think it's the case with adults too, to understand something greater, and this also I think comes from my yoga background, is we have to see all that's out there. I know so many things exist that do not support us in the way the Earth does. So Earth is so freaking special. You have to see how special it is, which is why no planet B is a thing. So if at least little minds can understand no planet B, like this is it, Neptune is cool. So we learn something about all the planets. And then that brings us to Earth. So we move from learning about planets. And as we move through module one, we just learn about why Earth is special. It has climate zones. We can live different places on Earth so that they have this knowledge that I even think a lot of adults don't necessarily consider on a daily basis that like, this is a really special, Special. It's so unique in that it's the right temperature. The gases are the right, the gravity is right. We don't talk about any of those things, but it's like, whoa, nothing else is like this that we know of. And when they see that as little kids, then they start to think, oh, we love Earth. Earth is our home. This is like where we are. And that opens up a door to then talk about what life is like on Earth, what all life needs: food, water, things to be clean and safe. So we talk about a safe home. We talk about habitats. We talk about all these things and it graduates from that place. Sometimes I think of this like the yamas and the niyamas. So if anyone knows what I'm talking about, like the sort of yogic path is that we start from the outside and we work in until we get to like ourselves and this relationship with self. And that's almost in a way how Earth Friends works through the five modules. We start all the way from outer space and then we work it through From life on our planet to the life we have on our planet to what we need, the food we need. And then we start to talk about what human beings do, how humans use natural resources, the things humans make, where they come from, where they go. So it's hard to like share what it all is here because I've made something that takes 30 weeks to teach.
0: That's amazing, Janet.
1: Here are some things we love about pine tree garden seeds. For one thing, they're lady farmers. It's a woman-owned and woman-run company. 85% of their staff is female.
0: And they've recently switched to a more sustainable envelope to ship seeds. Their new mailers are completely recyclable, made of paper and a cushioning material that is specifically designed to easily separate from the paper fibers during the repulping and recycling process. They're also
1: longtime members and supporters of the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and signers of the Safe Seed Pledge promising to never knowingly sell any GMO seeds. They do germination testing throughout the year on every single seed variety
0: they carry so they can stand behind their viability guarantee. Pine Tree Garden Seeds is meant for every level of expertise. For the yard artists, the backyard growers, the herb explorers, the bouquet builders, the habitat curators, and beyond. They're committed to helping you get the most out of your home garden by providing high-quality garden seeds, plants, and supplies at an affordable price. Get your spring garden going today by ordering your seeds from SuperSeeds.com and using our promo code GOODDIRT2024 for 20% off your entire order. That's S-U-P-E-R-S-E-E-D-S.com with our code GOODDIRT2024. You're making me think I are reading it right now for our book club. Have you read
2: Mirrors in the Earth? No, but because of your book club, I want to read it. I, had, I just have to finish the parrot and okay. the igloo first. <laughs> Yes. And listen to that episode and I'm like, yeah, like some children will get innovation out of this. Some children will get a connection like that through this, but we have to open it up so that they can, like, it's like literacy, right? Like when you have the power of words, then you have the power of language and you can do things with those words or you can do things, I don't know, those algebraic equations that I still don't understand why anyone would mix numbers and letters together so that they can choose where they go with this foundation and what they built. We're human beings on this planet and we create non-natural things and that has to be part of the education too. Because all those non-natural things we create come from a natural resource. Even as unnatural as it might look, you back it down to basics mm-hmm. and you understand that your plastic truck came from extracting something from the earth that when you take it all out, it damages the earth and it also takes that resource away so you don't have it anymore. Whereas other resources, you know, for example, some plants, the plants can grow back. Maybe we make more things out of those plants than we make out of that thing we pull from rocks and whatever. So just to have them understand that we care about trees and we care about nature, we care about animals, but we care about what we're doing as humans. And human impact isn't all negative. It can be extremely positive. And that's what I want them to walk away with, that we're not just Damaging the planet, and we don't have a choice. We have a choice. We absolutely have a choice. We have a choice to learn about where our things come from and where our things go.
0: When you read mirrors in the earth, if you're able to distill, like it's so beautiful, and it's it's all about like emotional intelligence in relation to the earth, like everything you're saying. I, mean, I just read the part where she's talking about how the earth is literally tilted slightly, right? Like the earth is on a tilt, and because of that tilt, because of the way the sun is, and like that is what like makes life possible and so when we think about ourselves and our emotions and we feel like something's a little wrong with us like we're a little off kilter it's like no that's the point like we're all like we have to be a little off kilter just like the earth and there's so many things like you just said not all human impact is bad like there's also a chapter on gardening as related to boundaries and so like what if we could teach kids about boundaries when we're teaching about how to care for the earth it's like So, and at this school, again, I'm taking the school that I'm at in particular, they're so big on like emotional intelligence and emotional health. What a beautiful way to like incorporate that too. I'm sure there already is some of that. And I think that
2: almost happens naturally. I would imagine that just naturally allowing children to explore in these new ways, because I know that I was... Talking to my husband the other day, and we have this big, beautiful, like, food forest garden. It's only, like, two years old, so we got fruit trees, but they're not producing fruit yet, but they're going to. That has been such a, a healing journey for him. To just go out there and be outside, and and in a way that really nothing else has been. I've always loved being outside, and my childhood was very much outside. And I like had an herb garden when I was like nine. That was like my summer thing of like making this herb garden. And then everybody got dried herbs for Christmas. I was so proud of myself. But this is kind of new to him. And I had this day where I was really just grumbly, and I had all this work to do, and it was all computer work, and I was just like over everything. And he texts me. He's like, "Hey, can you go get?" like wood and move the wood from the pile to the place and then put them on the fire and I was just like are you serious like no I don't want to do that because I would have to get up and do the thing I was doing but I went out there and I used my hands and I used my body and I did something that like kind of tired me out because you know hauling wood is not you know it's not a piece of cake all the time and then like I think I'd been doing it for five minutes and I was like I feel so much better I did a thing outside and I used my body and I didn't even Like, that wasn't even the intention. The intention was just to get the work done. I was like, this is all people need. They just need to get out there and do things. So then, all these things we're trying to figure out, like in theory and on paper about our emotions and about our habits and about our, you know, what makes us feel better, like they kind of come back to us because they're all there. Even when, like you were saying, Emma, these garden and boundaries and this, like the kids love working in the garden and you don't even have to like know why. So true. Sometimes you kind to figure it out too much and you just kind of let it flow, especially at this age because they don't have the language to tell you all the time what they like and why and the way you want to hear it for like a study or check Mm -hmm. a box and be like, we know this is working, but just that they're out there doing Mm -hmm. it of their own volition and they get excited about it. That's huge.
1: I want to speak to something you're describing how you start with the solar system and you introduce all the planets and then you then you zero in on Earth as this special place. And this is something that I've I've kind that's come to me more and more over the process of this podcast and the people we talk to and the work that we do is really creating space for people and in this case young children to literally fall in love. And I mean love. Like you, you see that bird out your window and you love that bird. And and I'm not saying, oh, that's interesting, you know, and that's fine too. But I mean, love it. And you love that flower and you love that bush and that tree outside that's so red and the leaves are dropping off and you witness the end of the season and you're feeling this, you're feeling this in cells. I talk about this on my slow living through the seasons a lot this kind of like cellular experience. If we can impart that to young children, we've got it. Yeah, we're good. We've (laughs) got it because your actions come so much from that emotional connection. If you love something, you're going to take care of it.
2: And that's what I discovered. So that's why this origin story of Earth Friends comes from the Imperfect Green Guide. Because as much as it made sense for adults to do things I was suggesting, what I found out is that we many adults are so disconnected from our environment from our land from our water from our ancestors like you name it we're just disconnected it's hard to find that intrinsic motivation to like make less garbage like you name it whatever whatever it is it's not really there you're just in this space of well i'm told this is what i should do and since no government no thing is mandating it like watch get industrial compost into a neighborhood where the town is like, and now we're doing this. People are doing it. They're like, okay, no, I'm doing it. I have to do it now. But that didn't come from, actually, I think it'd be great if I could not put the banana in the trash. You know, We know that story. And I would rack my brain that year of 2021, like, why aren't people motivated? What is going on? And they didn't love it because there were so many things in the way to love target runs and the cool thing you found on Amazon that you sent to your friend and your 12th purple sweater and the vacation you're going to take. And none of those things are wrong, but it's like we're loving these empty things. They don't necessarily love us back. But how do you shift behavior in adults? That's like trying to teach them a language. It's really, really hard to do. But then when I found out with children, like it kind of flipped around because people are like, okay, they have to like grow up fighting for climate change and, you know, rescuing endangered species. They can't do that either because they don't love it because they don't know it. So that's exactly what Earth Friends is. I'm holding space for them to learn about their environment, meaning everything, the physical, the natural, the material, the human made, the Earth made, so they can figure out what they love
0: about it. And not in a guilt way, like you said, like not to guilt them. They're
2: not guilted into this love. This love is genuine. It is intrinsic. It is built of their own curiosity. That's what I love about and Emma, you can probably see this too. They're just so Mm -hmm. honest and they're open and they have their opinions and they they love hard. And when they want to learn something, they like really want to learn. And what I find so interesting about my own son, we have the garden and he loves it and he, you know, he goes outside and both of our children, like my daughter, is like she's like a wild child. Flower, plant her in the dirt. She like she's that's her space. So it's not as much Cameron's space because he loves vehicles and he loves building. And maybe it's because a boy, maybe it's because it's Cameron. Who knows? Who cares? But he's a child that when I think about him and Earth Friends, I'm like, wait, how are we kind of piquing his interest? What is it that piques his interest? And that's what helps me sort of continue developing this beyond nature and into what do we create? Where does it go? How do we create it? Because those are also going to be our innovators and our problem solvers, those children. So for example, one day I was just outside doing something and I noticed he was taking all of the screwdrivers and all of the drill bits and sticking them in the ground. I'm like, great, what's this going to be? And I just kind of watched and he was doing it and he was using his dump truck. Dump was helping him and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get these because the dog and someone's going to step on them and this isn't really safe. But I said, "What, what are you doing with those? And he said, oh, I'm building something. Okay. What you building? He's like, these are cooling sticks. I'm like, they're cooling sticks? Can you tell me about this? He goes, yeah. They're cooling sticks because I stick them in earth and they suck up all the hot and they send it back to the sun. I'm cry, that's so sweet. He might be onto something. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, you're smarter than I am, and this is why we have to. teach Yeah, things. we have to teach their things because it's how his mind works. He's not out there trying to like grow things. Like he yeah. loves it, but that's that's not he's not his like nursing love. the baby his, bird. Right, that's, that's his sister. That's so cool. Like when left to his own devices, that's what he does. So
1: this is super two things first of all that story you just told he would be fascinated probably from from even this moment like what kind of building materials are good for the planet and there's Mm -hmm. a bunch of stuff on that you know that that and at his age he could absorb like and why is it better because you know this material over this material and why would this
2: be better for the earth we hope Very open conversations with him about why his plastic toys break. Cool. And I look at them and I'm like, because it's plastic. Because it is not as durable as this banged up police car truck thing that you've like hauled rocks. Like there's a reason. Like it's the material. And so he gets it. He still wants them and he still sees them. But he and he'll go, oh, mom, is this junk? I'm like, yeah, this like weird Halloween toy thing that you spent two seconds playing with. Like it is. Like the other day he had this mask that he got from something at school and it was just the elastic stuff and it broke and then it tore because it was sort of like a cardboardy thing. He was so upset about it because this was like his superhero mask. And I said, okay, well, let's think about it. Like I know you want one and you want this to last and we keep repairing it and it's not going to last. And I was like, so what could we do? He's like, we can make one that lasts. I'm like, well, what could we make it out of? He's like, Material. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, like that yeah, thing and like our dog, we have a golden retriever. When she gets groomed, sometimes she comes home with these like kerchiefs. Yeah. And they've like taken them off her and they like put like my kids like play with them in a different way. And he's like, that thing that May has. I was like, oh, you do mean material, like material. So we had this whole plan. Textile. Textile, exactly. Textile that we're going to have. He saved his broken one and he's going to talk to his Graham, which is my mom. And see if he can get her to make one out of material because it will last longer. So he's like sort of getting these things. But then other days he totally doesn't get it and doesn't care. But that's because he's a four-year-old.
1: Oh, you know, what's so beautiful about this is that it demonstrates – the integration like instead of like oh well you have a person that's going to grow up and and go into environmental studies or you have a person that's going to grow up and go into architecture or you have a person that's going to grow up and go into science you know we're living in times when all these things need to be integrated and they need to have a common goal or else we're going to be even in bigger trouble than we are now and these are the kids that are going to grow up, and the architect, and the builder, the designer, the inventor is going to already be in love with Mother Earth and the environment and all this, so that his work is going to reflect it. Mm-hmm. And the way it is currently, the way it's been, and you know, since the Industrial Revolution is that we don't raise humans to be connected in that way. And that's and look where we are. So it's wonderful.
2: The two books I've been reading one was The Miseducation How Climate Change is Taught in America, I believe. Katie Worth. And it's an amazing book. You know, if you're on that topic, it's like of education and environmental education and climate change education. It's like, it's very riveting and it's very telling, but it also tells the story of the disconnect that certain industries have built so that this isn't in schools and this isn't okay. part of adult or childhood education because it takes away from the need for people to consume or the need for people to, you know, innovate in ways that do create negative human impact. And it was just very eye-opening for me to read this book because I always kind of wonder, you know, I don't want Earth Friends to be political. I don't want it to have this certain lean that that is not my intention. My intention is exactly like you said, Mary, is for anyone teaching Earth Friends to just be holding space for curiosity and love of all that surrounds us and all of our interactions together. But that can very easily be pulled in a certain direction. And I was like, oh, I don't want that. And then I'm reading this book and they're like, schools are already political. It's already there. And I was like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. We're doing this. This is this is going to happen. Because all of this disconnect is almost the foundation of our education. And it's really hard. That's why we all take such a hard time. Because they were taught a different, they were taught the exact opposite thing, the dependency on things, the convenience of things. Like we live in a convenience culture and everything is fast and everything is free and everything is easy and everything is cheap. And those somehow snuck into becoming our values. But are those really our values? And do those have to be the values of these young children, this next generation?
0: Not really. Cheap isn't better. That's such a good point. I'd never thought about it like that.
1: Oh, it's so interesting. And you use the word convenience. And you also earlier in the interview, you countered some reluctance, even from your partner in this, about appearing to be speaking from a privileged perspective. And, you know, we have to tread lightly on these things because, you know, this is a large segment of our population does not have a choice in so many of these matters. And what you just said about convenience This ties back into another interview we had with this poet, and we talked about convenience with him. We've talked about convenience with a lot of people on here. It's really the basis of a lot of this stuff. We've been sold convenience as a culture, as a society. And so that is always the preferable choice, convenience and affordability. And so that's become the default position like for everything. So when you try to speak against that, when you try to offer alternatives, when you try to teach alternatives, you get resistance because you're really, that's really paradigm shifting right there. To say, why would we choose or educate or encourage something that's not convenient, that it's not as affordable? There's too many people that can't deal with that. That is true. However, that is not a reason to stop the conversation It's not a reason for you not to teach this curriculum or to go in there. You are where you are. You have these young children in this school. And yeah, you could say that, oh, there's so many kids that aren't privy to this education right now, but you're where where you are now. And you need to be doing this right there. And don't be scared away from the conversation because of this kind of Resistant energy.
0: Well, the really messed up thing about all of that is that if we're actually concerned about saving money, the whole system of buying into the convenience thing is set up so that we'll keep spending money. And the way the economy works just makes it kind of look like we're not spending as much money as we think we are. But the dependence and all of that is just to keep us buying things. We're in the wrong closing Exactly. System. Exactly. We <laughs> yes. yes. We, we are in a loop that we don't even realize. We're closing yeah. their loop. We're
2: closing their loop. So we need to like gift into this like you know circular everything
0: like we need not even reinvent the circle we just need to get out of that because that's what we were sold is we were sold you know when for example the fast fashion industry when everything moved overseas and it was really exciting because it made like fashion stuff affordable and accessible so accessible and affordable interesting that those got paired together exactly i mean yeah i know you're not wrong it's less money Well, and what I will will say too
2: is that, you know, two things to the accessibility factor and the equity factor is that I want, Earth Friends does have a a factor of equity. It's one of our values because as my mom, it wasn't even my partner, as my mom, that was like, this has to be something that gets to all children, not just these children in these preschools. And that is what I want Earth Friends to become, whether that's grant funding or whether that's fundraising or whatever it is, so that this program can be taught. Anywhere, anyone who wants to go out and get this curriculum with this like two hour training, it's just so that you learn how to do it and have a support because what we're also building is a community of practice. And I think that that is almost more important than the curriculum is for anybody out there teaching young children, environmental, anything at this point, like we want to be in a community together so that we have this power of community so that you can be a part of the successes and the solutions and the challenges. And we can talk about that together. And then if you happen to be a part of this community and you're like, I need a curriculum, I don't know what I'm doing, then Earth Friends is there for that too. But we also just want to gather the people all around this country or even the world that are approaching this topic for an audience this young. And I think that's really important is developing a community of practice as much as a curriculum, because we want to get this into places that You know, it could be as simple as someone who's like, well, we have a community garden and I want to gather these three to six-year-olds on like every Saturday morning a week and we'll do our earth friends lessons there. That's fine. And something else that became really important to me is nature schools are fantastic. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. Not all schools can afford or even want or have the right space for a nature school. And I didn't want earth friends to be left out of that. I want this to be something that can be taught even if you don't go outside and touch a tree, that you can still have an understanding of all of this. Because then it doesn't limit those kids that don't have that, you know, my kid's not in a nature school. And for a long time, we're like, oh no, like we wish we could, but we can't. And this happened to be the school that we found, but it ends up being wonderful. And now she is, you know, creating a little bit more of an outdoor space, which is great, but outdoor space isn't the only answer.
1: That's such a great point. And as you were talking, this might seem kind of random, but I'll tell it anyway. I had this sort of vision or mental, like a little mini movie in my head. Last night, my brothers and I were sitting outside having coffee in downtown. It's a little town, but there, there were there were all these kids running around, which was kind of cool to see. They were riding their bikes and stuff, and they were downtown, and they were they were always a young teenagers. They pulled up in front of their bikes, and they, you know, they plopped all their bikes down. It was great, and they ran inside this little coffee shop to get their drink, and they all came running out with these. You know, of course, these all these crazy drinks, coffee things, mochas or whatever in the single use plastic, you know, with the dome and the straw and everything. And I was just thinking, imagining a time in a few years, maybe children as a, as a result of this very curriculum and ones like it, that would go in there and they would pause or hesitate or possibly even not buy that drink because it's in that cup. It's had pie in the sky, but it was so instilled in them. Like, then they know like, ooh, this is going to go in the landfill. Do I really need this thing? Maybe they have a paper cup and, and, and just start changing things that way, you know, from just those behaviors and the thought, the thought process that, you know, you're instilling in these kids at this age, just to think about it. And like, right now, this is part of their world. I'm not blaming them. It's part of their culture. It's what they do for entertainment and it's not their fault. They might be the ones to change it to start demanding something different. Just just because the seed is planted in the, in what you're talking about in these very classrooms, classrooms, gardens, whatever the setting is, it doesn't matter.
2: We need to also, you know, we say not convenience, right? So, you're like, okay, it's not convenient, but then you kind of, you know, as adults, you're you feel a lack of something. Well, if it's not convenient, like, then I got to spend more time, and we got to spend more money, you know, whatever it is, whether it's financial convenience. Time convenience, effort convenience, it comes in literally every shape and form. So I like to think of the antidote to this this convenience is connection. So if you're not experiencing convenience, then maybe something is taking longer or it's a bigger investment for you or you're doing it with another person in a different way. You are making connections. And what our world is lacking severely right now is connection. So if we can shift from convenience to connection, and still give
0: ourselves something. like We feel like we're receiving something when it's convenient. Oh, I love that so much, Jana. Thank you for putting it like that. Convenience over connection. I like it so much. I'm going to use it and I will credit you. I think that dovetails really nicely into our question about slow living. And what does slow living mean to you?
2: Oh, I was thinking about this because I knew these two questions were coming up. So... As a listener, and I've many times I've listened to the podcast, I'm like, how would I answer if I ever got there? You're here. This is it. Welcome. And I hate to be like so literal about it. It's literally slowing down because we move so fast and so furiously that we are missing out on so many things because we're just trying to get to the next thing. And slow is doing something that might take more time doing something that might take more effort like once you get there like it's a it's like it's a little sticky to make these shifts and changes because you have that convenience like tugging at you like don't you remember when we did it the old way (laughs) you were doing your next thing in five minutes like whatever that might be whether it's the way you cook whether it's like hauling wood to make a fire versus like pushing a button and turning the heat on like I think that slow living is not only slowing down so doing things slower whether it's making bread, whether it's hanging your clothes on a line, whether it's taking a walk, like whatever it is. But you also have to slow down your expectation of what that will become for you. Because I think we are like, I'm going to do this the slow way. And you're you're still like in that place of immediate gratification. So it's like all of it. Like we have to create, I think slow living is space. I think that's my way of answering that in a truthful way. is so much more space for time, space for ourselves. We used to have all the feelings about something. Space to... Yeah. Need for something that you care about investing in. Like I did this thing a while back. I just don't buy stuff on sale because like I don't care if it, if I want that thing and I need that thing, then I don't care if it's on sale or not. If it's on sale and I needed it, that's great. Awesome. Super. But I don't look for discounts anymore. I don't. In a way, that's like slowed my shopping down.
0: That's so cool. Ah,
1: that's so beautiful. And what would that if everybody adopted that attitude Black Friday would collapse. Yay. (laughs) Just think about just like if everybody got that, you know, you have to get it. You can't be told it. It can't be something you should think. It has to be something you integrate
2: into your being. I heard it first because I was in New York City and I worked in fashion magazines and I had my 20s with like lunch break. I just went to H&M and got a going out shirt. That was me. I shopped all the time. I love shopping. I love clothes. But I still love shopping, and I still love clothes. It's just got so much more space, and there's so much more value in my closet now—not even financial value. Like, like this crazy sweater—it's clearly free because I was my mom's, and everybody's sick of looking at it. But the love for this thing—I'm <laughs> okay, sweating right now because we have a fire going on, and I can't open the window much because it's too loud. But I'm loving it. I think too with fast fashion, like we have to also acknowledge the fast fashion in children's clothing because it is. Awful, 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 which is why one of our things in Earth Friends is that I like it comes with a very minimal materials kit for schools. And one of them is take back bags from four days. I don't know if you've heard of four days, but they do, you know, the clothes that would end up in a landfill that you can't give to someone else, they go on this take back bag. Just so that we have this acknowledgement of like, this is where this stuff goes. And now we have a different place for it. Just like we do a crayon recycling drive. We don't think about how many crayons get pitched and then they end up in a landfill. So we have we have these things that are just visual testaments to the discarding of our things so that children can see them. But yeah, there ain't nothing slow about children's clothes. Oh, wow. So what does the good dirt mean to you? I asked my four-year-old Cameron this question this morning. Just tossed it out there as he was building with his mega blocks. So I'm like, Cameron, what does good dirt mean to you? And he looks at me and he was like, poop. I gave him a chance. (laughs) He's not wrong. Well, you know, I forget how, what I said to, you know, I said, well, why or something like that? And he just completely straight and he goes, well, because when you put poop in the dirt, it makes good soil. I did not think that was coming because he's into like saying potty words now. Doing stuff. No, I mean, poop makes good dirt. You lobbed it, brought it home. Yeah, Cameron. (laughs) Well, I think good dirt is the amendments that we put into the foundation of growing. Oh, and love it. That's, I think, what's important in education. I think that's important in our homes. Like when you think about what your home, what do you fill your home with? And yeah, we have a garden. So good dirt is like great, steamy, wonderful compost. But like, what is that even? Those are the amendments that you're putting into your soil. And we can do that in so many areas of our life. So for me, I'm, I'm hopefully doing it for three to six-year-olds and in my home and in my relationship.
1: Yay. Beautiful. I love it's it so much. Enrichments. The enrichments. Yes. Oh, I <laughs> love it so much.
2: Yes. I was getting too literal with
1: my <laughs> I love it. So before we wind up, I want to ask you one more question. You're, you're, you're a faithful, loyal, good dirt listener. And you had, you had told us earlier, I think in an email, there's been some Things you've learned and decisions you've made and, and based on the podcast. And I just wonder if you share something with us. Just I just we just love hearing. Or
2: maybe like an so episode
0: much. that sticks out or something.
2: Okay. I can think of four ways that the good dirt has inspired what Earth Friends is becoming.
0: And I will use
2: Mary, who is what was she I wanna say Scotland and she has like a Oh my gosh, yes. Mary Reynolds, Reynolds. in Ireland. Ireland, yes. thank you. I was like, it's not Scotland, yeah. but yeah, just going for something. Just seeing something that the industry or whatever isn't doing and just going for it. And I think a lot a lot of people on here, just like you had said at the beginning, like just to share. That's why we share these stories of where something came from, I think, on this podcast is such an inspiring thing because you can look at something that isn't there yet or isn't done that way yet and be like, oh, but I could do that. Maybe if that person could do it. And then I'm trying to think of there's been multiple moms. I'm just going to say the moms that come on because they know that their children are kind of on the trajectory of my children. And that makes me feel less alone. And like kids do care about the earth. So clearly that inspired Earth Friends is like, children really care. And if we hold the space for them to fall in love with Earth, they can. And we don't actually have to do that much hard work. But also knowing that those children, like it's really great that those moms are raising their kids in a way. And I had actually reached out to some on Instagram just asking questions. And the questions wasn't relevant because their children weren't in schools or weren't out in the world, in the way my child is, so they didn't have the answers to be like, they're like, oh, no, th- we don't run into that. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, that's crazy. Because we run into it. So that was this intersection of like, okay, let's have everybody run yeah, into it. Yeah, there's this. a space Like, like there. let's have the children who are being raised in nature run into the children who are being raised in the city or, you know, in a way, Earth Friends doesn't necessarily lean on how children experience the environment at home. That's the equity factor. It's the same at your school. Your school is picking up the sustainable things. Your teachers are learning the sustainable things. This is not something more for parents. Yes, we have some resources if they want them and activities if we want them. But that was a big thing is I was like, oh, there's all these cool children out there, but they're not running into the children who, not, who aren't experiencing. I wanted it to mix a little bit more. And the the one I really like in a very straightforward way is Owen or was it the Owen with the meadow worms. I'm horrible. Yeah, lawns and meadow. Yeah, yeah, I my hope is that for every Earth Friends curriculum in a school that those children also plant a meadow somewhere. And because of that episode, we have a meadow started in our front yard.
0: That's a great one to tie with the Mary Reynolds one too. Right. Yeah, and lastly,
2: how important community is, which is why once this was all kind of said and done and talking to my board members and we really feel a community of practice is really important for any of these educators that, not even educators, parents, concerned citizens, anybody that wants to to open this door to environmental education to very young children, like come be a part of our community because we just really want to be together in that. Oh, thank you so much. We
1: just really helps us to hear what's resonating for people out there and why. Oh, I just love hearing all that and that, you know, you you hear moms out there that you can resonate
0: with as well as ideas and and then when you don't resonate that's the opportunity that's like huh this is something like I can bring forward you know that's uh, that's really exciting I mean really my husband and I listen to your episodes like all the time and
2: we learn so much we just learn we learn like if on on the surface we're like oh yeah we already live that way but that's the crazy thing is like we feel that we live pretty very similar to the two of you and people that you interact with but like we're still learning so much so like that's the power of it
0: same we learn every person we get on
2: <laughs> magord i'm like we wish issues with snugwort too that's so funny. i'm like i can't be friends with this <laughs> I can't really be friends with this no
1: <laughs> no because she she really needs to learn some manners <laughs> i know I, know. I she, she manipulates the garden conversation a lot. Yes, yeah, she does. She wants, you know, she does not want anybody else to be there.
0: She hasn't shown and, yet that she's ready for the meadow. Mugwort, would you like to come on Tuesdays to Peppermint? At <laughs> 9.30. Yeah. Mugwort,
1: if you can sit in your spot, then you might be able to come. But um, <laughs> anyway, Jana, is there anything else you'd like to leave the audience with before we wrap up? And Tell
2: everyone how they can find out about
1: Earth Friends and how they can become involved if they'd like.
2: All right. So, I really want to leave like any parents listening and teachers and anyone that has lots of time with young children is just open yourself up to their curiosity about their environment and what is around them. And it's such a joyful experience. Like, it's something that's uplifted me in ways that. You know, sometimes you can get bogged down with environment and climate and saving and doing this. And this is just a very positive, uplifting thing is to bring these types of conversations to children, like young children, because they will surprise you in so many different ways. But Earth Friends, if you are in any way bringing environmental education, nature education, climate education, eco-friendly, sustainable, you name it, to children, come be a part of our community. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to know what you're doing, what you're teaching. And of course, if you want some guidance and resources, we have the Earth Friends curriculum, which are our trainings start next spring. So I think April of 2024. And The training is two hours just to familiarize you with the way that you can integrate this curriculum into the community you would be bringing it to and just the best ways to use our community for support of your teaching. And really, anyone can teach the curriculum. You can be fresh out of college. You can be a retired yoga teacher. You can be a teacher in a preschool already, like just any adult that wants to bring this to the community of children. And you can find out all about all the things we're doing for Earth Friends on our website, which is earthfriends, spelled out, dot U-S. So sometimes we're like, dot us, but we're like, no, dot U-S, not dot com. Come be a part of this paradigm shift. (laughs) I'm so often told I can't use that word. It's too big. But that's what it (laughs) is.
0: It is. Well, this podcast isn't directed specifically at preschoolers, so you can use it. Although they're welcome to listen. (laughs) i know i was like i'm allowed i'm allowed you are paradigm we are all about the paradigm shift
2: yes (laughs) i'm shifting the paradigm it's perfect language Mm -hmm.
0: it is oh it's so exciting and we have so much more to talk about and we will so happy to meet you it's been so fun this was fantastic i hear your voices like
2: all the time, like every week, and you put out a show. But now they're like legit in my living room. So
1: fun. Of course, it's so happy to meet you as well. And thank you so much. And we'll be in
0: touch. Thank you for tuning in, calling in, and spreading the good dirt. We love hearing from you. You can reach our listener voicemail at 443 459 1950. That's 443-459-1950. You can find this number in our show notes and in our Instagram profile. This show is produced by Lady Farmer,
1: a slow-living lifestyle community. And the original music is composed and performed by John
0: Kingsley. For more from Lady Farmer, follow us on Instagram at Farmer. That's Farmer, Or join us online at www.ladyfarmer.com. We'll see you next time on The Good Dirt. Goodbye.